When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. Unfortunately, we're back to talk about another defeat for Everton, this time a home to Manchester United. A Bruno Fernandes double and a late Edinson Cavani strike were enough to cancel out Bernard's opener as Carlo Ancelotti's side slipped to a third straight loss. I'm Adam Jones and I'm today joined by Dave Prentice, Gab Buckland and Connor O'Neill to try and decipher just what went wrong, look back at Everton's defence, the midfield and loads more. But uh, Preno, we'll start off with just generally, what what happened? Um, what's been happening for most of the season, to be perfectly honest, we're just not defending it well enough. And, um, you know, when you can score four and five goals against the Brightons and the West Broms of this world, that tends to gloss over those defensive deficiencies but it's something that Carlo still hasn't got to grips with yet and it's reassuring in one respect in that you know he's focusing on making the team more dangerous going forward and more creative and as a result you know scoring more goals which you hope in turn will mean that you're going to win more matches than you'll lose but you've got to try and balance it up a little bit um, with what's happening at the other end and he took steps to try and address it. I mean, Yerry Mina was dropped. Uh, you know, Mason Holgate was brought straight back in. And, you know, he looked like a man that, you know, obviously hadn't played for a while. And, you know, so maybe that contributed to it a little bit. That right side of ours, which, you know, looks so great going forward, teams seem to have identified that now as a, a vulnerability. They know that James Rodriguez isn't going to give Seamus Coleman a great deal of cover. That exposes Seamus a little bit. And, uh, you know, an awful lot of problems came down that flank during the game. Bottom line, though, is just that we're just not defending well enough as a unit. We've got to do more. Uh, we've got to press a little bit more intensely in the final third. Um, we've got to shield a little bit better across midfield. And we've got to defend better across the back four. Every element, you know, so of the defensive side of the operation has to improve. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I say fortunately, Carlos going to have time to work on it. Is he? So many of those players are going to be away on international duty now for the next uh, 10 days or so. But yeah, it's clearly something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, Gav, I think Preno focuses on the right aspect of the game, doesn't it? I think it'd be unfair to say that this performance was as bad as the one against Southampton or against Newcastle, because I think Everton were generally uh, a bit better in this game, I think. But defensively, there's gaping holes there, isn't there? Uh... Yes, uh, I also think the midfield there in terms of what Penna was talking there in terms of protecting the back four. Um, Alan, I, I really like Alan, but as has been pointed out elsewhere, he's not a natural holding defensive midfielder. It's just a attribute he's got, but he's not a full-time uh, holding midfielder. Um, and like the Baron, um, who, who suggests we're probably missing at the moment. And you saw that for probably both goals, didn't you? With, where there was lots of space for uh, Bruno Fernandez and then Ashford to to ghost in in the middle of the defence. Um, yeah, and so I don't think it's just the defence that needs fixing. 
a lot of changes on Saturday. Was it six changes? Six, Something yeah. like that. Yeah. It was big. That's a huge number of changes. First game for Holgate. Whether it was the right game for Holgate to come in his first game of the season is perhaps debatable. Uh, you look rusty. I still think he's very much a work in progress. Mason as well. I'm not sure he's the finished article. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's just not just the defence, as Benno says it. It's the defence in midfield. I mean, I'd, I'd love to get... A, I know it was away from home, but I'd love to compare and contrast the two performances at Spurs away, Manchester United at home, mm. and see how we played in both games. I think at Spurs, we were a lot more compact. We were a lot more of a unit, where I felt on Saturday, we were a little bit... Not shapeless, but we were, we were stronger out a bit, mainly because we defence sat too deep because they were scared of United's pace, weren't they? Um, so yeah, it was defensively wasn't the best, but I don't think it was just defence was midfield there as well. Mm. Looking at that defence though, Connor, you know, you look particularly at the back five, and there were a lot of changes from uh, Everton at the weekend. But this was probably the closest that we've seen so far this season to a full strength Everton back five, wasn't it? You know, Holgate was playing his first game of the season. Dean was back, Coleman was back, Pickford back in goal as well. But it, there was just something. There was just still something missing there. Is it? It, it doesn't seem to be down to personnel, does it? It seems to be there's something systemically wrong with this defence at the minute. Yeah, I think that's what the, <clears throat> the most disappointing thing from Saturday was, is that you look at that back five and it probably is Carlo Ancelotti's first choice back five in many ways. I think what, what Gav said there about, you know, Holgate coming straight back in, I think that to me was a sign that he is Carlo Ancelotti's second choice centre-back behind Michael Keane because to just bring him straight back in and, and put him in over... Yeni Mina without even kicking the ball. It shows that he's got a lot of faith in him and he clearly he clearly he clearly rates him quite highly. But I think that was that is the most disappointing thing was that that's probably the, the best back five on paper we've got. And yet you know it's looked so so vulnerable at the weekend. And I think there is something maybe more than just personnel. I think you know what Gav said there about the midfield. I think for me at the minute it's just not flowing. There's just something not right with Everton. It's, it's not clicking. And that's all over the park. I think, you know, it was a little bit better the weekend, but, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin again was, was probably feeding off scraps back like he was a couple of months ago. We didn't really test Manchester United in, in any way, shape or form. I think, you know, you wrote a piece yourself, as on last week, saying, you know, Everton can't let United off the hook. Mm. And I think that's what he did once I said, let them off the hook big time. They never put Maguire and Zoffman under pressure. They never really got in the faces and, they allowed United to get a foothold in the game by a poor defender, and it was one that they never, they never let go of. But going back to the, going back to your first point, I think that's what's most disappointing about the results and performance on on Saturday was that that was Everton's best back five on paper they've got, and yet they still produced that type of display, which is must must be a worry for for Carlo Ancelotti. Mm. Well, I mean, let's talk about that midfield, Preno, because you know you look at. As Gav says, the difference between this United game and the Spurs game, the only difference in that midfield is Andre Gomez dropped out and Gil Sigurdsson has come in. And you could, before the match, I know I personally could see why Gilfie Sigurdsson was in there instead of Andre Gomez, considering uh, how I think Sigurdsson's been a bit better creatively than Gomez in general so far this season. Yeah. So you could understand that necessarily. But is there, is there something is there something wrong with that midfield balance at the minute with, without Gomez in it? Um, it seems to be going around in a circle now because um, I actually said myself when I was watching the game on Saturday that we actually did appear to be missing Andre Gomez, even though he's been playing like a drain for the last uh, couple of weeks. And, you know, we totally supported him being dropped and Gilfie Sigurdsson coming in. But we didn't keep the ball anywhere near well enough. 
the passing was poor uh, across the midfield. You know, we were just giving the ball away far too frequently. And yeah, there were gaps throughout that midfield because, uh, as I think Gab said, we were terrified of their pace over the top. Uh, understandably so, you know, because there's an awful lot of pace in that United team. So we dropped deep, uh, but the the midfield players were too detached then, you know, so from the back four, and it, it allowed a little bit of space for United to exploit very cleverly. The number of times that Rashford and Fernandez just like came off the, uh, the the defense to create that little space in the hole, and then had the time to turn and do something with it, happened over and over again. And, you know, how do you do, how do you overcome that? You either, you know, sort of defend a lot deeper as a block, you know, as an entire unit, which we didn't do because we were trying to be, you know, sort of ambitious going forward and trying to create things. Or, you know, you, you change the personnel entirely and you have Andre Gomez back in there, hopefully playing like the Andre Gomez of, you know, sort of pre, you know, sort of dislocated ankle, whatever it is, you know, and keeping the ball really, really well. Um, it was just a bit of a mess from start to not from start to finish. That's because you know, for twenty minutes we looked decent, you know. So we, we did okay, you know. So pushed them back, took the lead. But when you're defending as badly as we defend, you just don't get a platform, you know. So in the in the match, then uh, you're allowing them opportunities all the time to restore their own confidence, and we never ever looked completely settled all the way through. Um, yeah, you can you know so sort of point the finger at the midfield, but you've also got to point the finger at the defence for not defending as well as we do. I felt so, so sorry for Dominic Calvert-Lewin at the weekend. I thought he was top class at what he did, feeding off absolute scraps. He made as much happen as he possibly could from very, very little. And I just thought, what a good player he was, you know, so on, on, on what little he had to work with. And in the end, I was actually calling for just to knock it long. Just forget about, you know, so trying to play through the line, just knock it long. Because he's got the beating of Maguire and particularly Lindelof in the air. And he's causing them problems. I mean, that's how he scored the goal. Um, so, you know, if we're not going to play through the lines, just, just go back to basics and knock it long. But that's not Carlo's modus operandum, is it? He would never, you know, set a team up to do that. We didn't. And we just got, we got a spanking, to be honest. You know, it was uh, the moment in the second half we might have got back into it. But it was disappointing, very disappointing. Gab, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you don't think Alan is a natural sort of defensive midfielder. And I have to say, personally, I do agree with you on that point. But, in terms of solving Everton's midfield issue then, you know, as you say, with Jean-Philippe Gabamon still out for the time being, do you think a change in formation would suit Everton? And if so, what would the strategy be? Uh, well, I think, I think we need to talk about Gilfie and formation, don't we? Which I don't think we've ever spoken about before. So, um, <laughs> I think in terms of midfield, Sigurdsson... And it's meant to be, and it's, I'm, I'm answering the question eventually here, Ad. Is, <laughs> is, I think the problem with play 4 3 3 with Sigurdsson is one of the three in the middle. I always say he's a player at the moment, Sigurdsson, isn't he? He's not a player who's going to run the game, he's, probably, he's going to be continually involved. He's, got, he's a player of moments, and I don't think he fits in 4 3 3 in the middle. Uh, I actually think if you're going to play in 4 3 3, play him up top on the left hand side where Bernard was playing on the, on Saturday. Um, so um, I think Sigurdsson is part, was part of the problem on Saturday, part of the problem in midfield, as he has always been, to be honest with you, unless you play 4 2 3 1, you're playing behind the striker. Uh, in terms, I mean, Carlo has played 4 4 2 in the past. I mean, that's sort of been his sort of default formation. Just trying to think off the top of my head, have we got the have we got the right balance of play at midfield four at the moment? 
me and you play Decorda, you play Alan. But we've got you play Rodriguez on the right, and on, on yeah on the right hand side. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I like the middle three, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, but it shouldn't be it shouldn't include Sigurdsson. There's, it's been like what Penn was saying here is ideally if you had Gomez sort of fire and a bit more like he was at the start of the campaign. Four three threes, fine with Gomez, Takore and Allen. Mm. Um and, and if you want and if, if there was no Rich Allison, you play six and up top on the on the left hand side. Mm. Four two doesn't seem right to me because I don't think you're getting the best out of Carver Lewin there as well, are you? Yeah, of course. Because you just four three three works for Carver Lewin, doesn't it? Ball out wide. Get it, you know, get it, get it up the top of the pitch, firing crosses like like Lucas E should have done on Saturday. That's his stand. That's been his stand all season, hasn't it? Four four two with another person by it. Not so sure that works for him. You know, uh, so yeah, yeah, possibly add, but I'm not sure we got the personnel and other suits our key players at the moment. Connor, do you think James Rodriguez maybe fits into that third man in midfield slot if we could find somebody to play right wing? Possibly, yeah. But again, it's, it's who you're going to put on the right, isn't it? I think it's. I, I think if anything, what what this does underline is how far Carlo Ancelotti and Everton have still got to go to to be a, a genuine top four, um, top six challenger with a, a genuine good squad. I think. You know, it seems like we've gone back to the thing of, you know, trying to put round square pegs in round holes and, you know, well, maybe you can do a job, maybe you can do this. And I think you think at the start of the season, they felt like everything clicked in the sense of the formation. Players were playing to the peak. Now it's, it seems like we're trying to pick, pick parts and where they maybe don't fit, but they might do a job. And I think Rodriguez could be the answer. But then, like I say, you know, you've got to, you've got to find someone to go on the right wing, I think. You know, Alex Iwobi blows hot and cold. I, I mean, for me, again, I just think, you know, I, I watched the weekends and we might come on to it a little bit, but, you know, you look and think, well, what's that we Gordon got to do to get even on the bench? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lad who's got pace, getting behind and keep the ball. And you just think, and then, you know, the weekends we're bringing, like, it's like toasting on Alex Iwobi. You know, I, I would have liked to see maybe Gordon come on with 20 minutes to go and, and try and get a foothold in the game and play with a bit of, you know, a bit of freedom, a bit of rawness, but, you know, for seemingly Carlo, Carlo thinks otherwise, but, yeah, I see what you mean, but, Rodriguez, but I think at the minute, he's, he's still best just on the right-hand side in terms of creativity and, and looking to, you know, provide some, some service to Carlo because, like Penno said earlier, you know, he's back feeding off scraps and he's not going to score goals feeding off scraps by himself week in, week out. We've got to, we've got to try and get the ball to him in areas where, where, they, where he's going to hurt teams and, for me, we, we didn't do that at all on the weekend. So it, I think it just goes to show how far I've still got to go before they can have some sort of complete squad to, to mm. challenge for the, the top four and the top six. Mm. I know looking particularly at Rodriguez this weekend, I think it's probably fair to say that he was off his game. You know, he won his yeah. he won his race to be fifth for the game, but uh, he didn't really have much of an impact across the 90 minutes. And I think the thing that stuck out for me was that he wasn't taking any of Everton's set pieces throughout the game. Now, does that maybe point to the fact that he wasn't fully fit for this? hundred uh, percent, yeah. Uh, I mean, Carlo expressed reservations himself last week, didn't he? When he said that, you know, Hammers has told me that he's fit. Uh, you know, so I'm not sure that he's hundred percent fit myself, but you know, he's fit enough to play. 
So if he's not taking set pieces, and that is one of the key parts of his armoury, and we've scored so many goals from his deliveries this season, that indicates that clearly he isn't absolutely, you know, so fit at the moment. And yeah, he, he was disappointing. You know, I, I hesitate to say that because, you know, just one flash of inspiration from him in a game can, you know, create a goal and turn things on its head, which is why we indulge him, which is why, you know, he, he's picked, you know, so even when he's not 100% fit. Uh, but he, he, he was he was sorely lacking in a number of you know sort of moments in the game at the weekend, and it was, it was. I think we have to just accept that you know he's not going to be an absolute world beater every week, and if he's not fully fit, we are going to see a little dip in performance. Um, it, it was it was probably worth the gamble, I think, in involving him. But it concerns me now that if he's away on international duty for you know sort of ten days, is he going to be getting the same kind of uh, treatment, you know, while he's away, you know, so is he going to be pushed into more matches when he's not 100% fit? I don't know. Very even more question marks we have to worry about um, in, in the meantime. But no, it was, he, he, he was flat. But the, he wasn't alone in that. I mean, an awful lot of players, you know, so didn't reach the heights that they had been reaching earlier this season at the weekend. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think you've preempted my next question there to to a Gav. I mean, I think Rodriguez was only indicative of of, of a problem that was across the squad. You know, were were there other players who went perhaps fully fit for this game? I'm thinking Mason Holgate in particular took a while to get going, as you as you might expect with it being his first appearance of the season. But it just seemed to be an inherent lack of energy across across the team, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, Rodriguez, definitely. Well, we raised our brows about that, Adam, didn't we, on Friday in our mm. podcast then, didn't we? Uh, and I'm still not convinced Alan's 100% fit. <laughs> um, he, he's saying he just, he's, he's lost half a yard of pace since the start of the season, or he just doesn't look fully at it. Yeah, I'm just wondering about the Carlo, if he looks back at the game, whether he would regret picking Holgate for that game. Uh, bear in mind, there's an international break. Um, I, I just thought Mason flattened distribution was poor. He's still got a lot to learn as a centre half. He was definitely there. I mean we've had Coleman, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean you, you do you do wonder, I mean but, but having said that we're not the only team probably like this at the moment. Yeah. You know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, Premier League teams who are suffering. You go see the end of the Man City Liverpool game yet yesterday. Mm. Um and what this points to is the strength of the squad in terms of its depth, about he got to bring in, and um, it, it, I suppose it is slightly worrying that in terms of options that you you have to play Rodriguez when he's nowhere near one hundred percent fit, um, because what are other options available to us? And that 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 is the concern, and that is one of the things you hopefully try and address in January. 
money money permitting, and uh, that that was certainly the case on on Saturday against the team who played. But they played there was it forty eight hours gap was it between their two matches was it United? Yeah, yeah, yeah. not you know. So we're not the only team with that, but it just points it just points to a lack of depth in the squad. Ad. Um, but it was certainly the case on Saturday. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think Gav brings up a good point there, Connor. You know, Manchester United were the team who had played uh, earlier in the week. Was it when Wednesday night? I think they played against Istanbul, Basak Shakir, of course. And they looked like the more energetic team, especially in the first half. I think Everton, you know, grew into it second half, and United maybe dropped off a little bit until they scored that last-minute goal, of course. But you look back at Everton's early season performances, especially against the likes of Spurs and. High energy was probably the main factor that you would take out of Everton's display. How does Carlo Ancelotti try and get that back in his team? I think that's a, a million dollar question right now, isn't it? Because they, they did look they did look flat. I think they they look you know they looked flat from the start. <laughs> I think there was a little bit of a bounce in the second half, but I do think that coincided with United maybe just kind of holding up for a two-one and thinking let's. Let's try and make them on the plate more than, you know, let's just dig in deep. I think that's the worry is that the way Everton, we do seem so tired already and we're only, you know, two months into the season and, and we do seem tired. But I, I, I agree with what Gav said there, you know, we're not the only Premier League team. I think you look at a lot, the, look at some of the results so far this season and managers say, you know, we, you know we're a little bit tired or this, that, the other. So it clearly is catching up with teams. But you had hoped that Everton would be one of the more stronger teams given that, you know, we're not in Europe. You know, we're seemingly just playing Premier League matches. So for us to be in the position we are isn't great. But I think in terms of how Carlo gets it, I think he's just got to hope that this international break, some of the players don't over-exude themselves and they come back with a little bit of a, a new lease of life and some kind of, you know, spirit to, to go again. Because the next block of fixtures now is probably the most chaotic that there is in terms of, you know, the Premier League, League Cup, the Christmas period, then the FA Cup into January. So... It's only going to get tougher from here on in. So I think how he does it, I don't know, but he's got to hope somehow that they do refine that spirit from the start of the season because it's vital if it's vital that they're going to need energy levels to, to get through this next you know set of fixtures before the next international round. Mm. Uh, to go off tangents a little bit, Prano, I'm going to give you a platform to talk about something that I've seen you tweeting about all weekend. Mm. Uh, I think you know what's coming. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I was hoping you were going to bring it up because I thought, I hope you did, I hope you does. Because it really did irritate me in the extreme. Uh, in case you hadn't seen, you know, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you might not have been aware. But watching the game at the weekend, and I, I, I tend to ignore all these conspiracy theorists who talk about there's an agenda against Everton, you know, it's, a, it's biased media against Everton. And you think, well, okay, people are reading a bit too much into it. But the weekend was just so, so annoying. I mean, we were talking about the incident when Jordan Pickford um, apparently dropped the ball and then in his haste to try and recover it, uh, ended up like uh, catching uh, Harry Maguire on the knee and was, you know, told, you've done it again. You've done a Virgil van Dijk again. This is what the people on the uh, the commentary were saying. Steve McManaman was saying this. Uh, the commentator was saying this. I can't believe he's done it again. They then got Peter Walton on to say how he should have been sent off. Peter Walton was a host referee anyway. He was uh, you know, basically <laughs> ignoring the evidence in front of his own eyes. I'm thinking, have I missed this? Harry Maguire's just pushed him. I've, I've seen Harry Maguire's right arm come out, pushed him in the midriff. That caused him to lose the ball and lose balance. 
Have I not, have I not seen that? Have I got this wrong? So, you know, I tweeted it out there. Unfortunately, I wasn't seeing things. Lots and lots of other people had also seen it. But clearly the guys, maybe with an agenda of BT Sport uh, or with, you know, red sunglasses on, um, I hadn't seen it. And basically just refused to even accept or acknowledge the fact that maybe the fact that he'd been fouled contributed to the fact that he reacted in the way in which he did in dropping the ball. And then it wasn't even him the court. Harry Maguire, it was Michael Keane. So I was thinking, you know, I just don't, don't understand it at all. Now, fortunately... Tim Cahill came riding to our rescue on Match of the Day on Saturday night. And he said that, well, yeah, the VAR have looked at it. And clearly it's not a penalty or not a red card because he's being fouled. And you're absolutely right. And then Harry Maguire subsequently this morning uh, has given a statement to the Manchester United website saying that, oh, I see Jordan's getting stick for having dropped the ball when I fouled him. You know, so I pushed him in the midriff. So he's held his hand up as well. But I just uh, can't believe how really experienced uh, football for players commentators, a former referee, couldn't see that, couldn't see that Jordan Pickford was fouled. Now, whether you think that, okay, it wasn't sufficiently, you know, uh, belligerent a push to cause him to drop the ball, again, I don't accept that either, because, you know, when you're off balance, when your feet are, you know, off the floor, it only takes a slight nudge to make you lose balance. But, you know, I just can't believe that they didn't see that. They didn't look at it again. They didn't realise that that's why, you know, he dropped the ball and why it caused this big panic in the penalty area. So, yeah, bottom line is there clearly is a conspiracy against them. There clearly is an agenda in some areas of the media. And it did. It, 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 it pissed me off no end. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite pleased that Tim spotted it on Match of the Day and that, uh, and that Harry Maguire himself has come out and spoken you know, up in defence of Jordan Pickford, which he shouldn't have had to do, to be fair, <laughs> if the, uh, the TV companies had done their job properly. Mm. Just to play devil's advocate, Gavin, to try and argue against the point that there might be an agenda against Everton. Do you think this is maybe another case of England international goalkeeper potentially makes a controversial decision in a game and the media have jumped on the back of it again? Absolutely. Um, I, it, I, was think, I, mean, I didn't see the push recently. Mm. Um, to be honest with you, so I, I was, I just thought, yeah, oh, they got a point there. It was only after the game that it was pointed out. So um, I get that, but you, you, there would have been people in the studio and stuff who would have seen the push. I, I totally agree with that, George. Box office isn't it at the moment? He's box office that, for the, the wrong reasons, and uh, he was box office before the Van Dyke incident, and um, that was one of the reasons I said why that was a prolonged debate, wasn't it? Because he is England's number one. And the same principle was applied on Saturday. Uh, I don't think journalistic neutrality is necessarily something that is there in the, in the commentary box these days. I think they want big stories, they want viewer involvement, all that type of stuff. And, and you saw an example of that on, on Saturday. Build up the incidents. It, it's a nice narrative. Forget about what actually you see in the front here. Uh, and that was certainly the case for me in the coverage on Saturday. What I would say, a couple of other things is, uh, I think every club thinks there's a persecution complex against them. Ian Solskjaer sort of thought that himself on Saturday, didn't he? <laughs> um, even the most successful one. So we're not alone in that. Um, and also as well, what I would say about Peter Walton, if we would have turned around and said on Saturday, well, I would have booked him for that. I said, no, you wouldn't, Peter. Last time he scored, he didn't have yellow cards with you. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, so uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm not sure at this time. Garden referees in the, in the studio. I'm not sure they're adding a, a lot of value at the moment. To think about anything, they're actually proving the point that actually, apart from a few, you don't really know that much. 
<laughs> of the game. Um, and yeah, I, going back to your point, I, I agree. Jordan's box office, isn't he? If that had been the other end of the pitch, I'm not sure it would have been the same scrutiny at the time. Mm. And I think, Connor, it's, it's unfortunate that we nearly found ourselves in the same position as after the derby again, isn't it? You know, Jordan Pickford becoming the centre of attention, you know, in, in this in this scenario as well. He's, he's not really done anything wrong at all. He's been pushed and then tried to get back and, you know, save save something after being pushed. It, 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 it just really, it, I'm, I'm agreeing with Benno, it just, it just kind of baffled me that he became the narrative somehow after this game. Yeah, it, it baffled me as well because I, I just I actually thought while it was going on and he was doing the, you know, the whole VAR review, I thought they're probably going to give this, yeah, like yeah. They'll, they'll give this, you know. That was the only thing that really didn't surprise me in it all because they seem to review it a good three or four times. And, you know, going back to what Perron said there, every time Steve McMahon, you know, was making a, a bigger point of why it was a penalty, you know, <laughs> and I think by the time he got to the fourth, the fourth replay, he was just screaming, it's a penalty, it's a penalty, which mm. it wasn't a penalty. <laughs> so yeah. It wasn't even, they should have been looking at the instant before the ball even drops out of his hands. And I, I just think, though, I think the problem now with Jordan Pickford is, is that, and Everton fans, is they've got to live with this type of scrutiny. This is going to be a, a, around now for a while. And, you know, he is going to be the, the, the narrative. He is going to be the, the story at most games. And, you know, everything he does is going to be, you know, under the microscope and, and if the minute he does make a mistake or he does something wrong, there's going to be people there to pounce. And I think, unfortunately, for, for everyone involved with Everton, that's just the way the way it's going to be right now. Because, you know, like Gav said, he's, he's box office and, you know, every, every man and his dog seems to have an opinion on him. And unfortunately, you know, that's the way it's going to stay. Um, until someone else, somewhere, does something stu- more stupid than him or, you know, it, it gets, gets themselves in the limelight. Because, you know, the... We, one thing we do know, know about this, you know, the country about the, you know, the, the broadcast media is they love, they love overhyping things and they love, they love going on, going on big time, and that's what they're doing for Jordan, Jordan Pickford right now this minute. But our, the only hope we've got is, is that he learns to, you know, cope with that and just try to brush it off and, and not let it affect him. Mm. Of course, Prano, Jordan's going to be one of those going off on international duty this week. Uh, Gareth Southgate already put his full support behind Pickford being. England number one still. Do you think that's going to be a big boost to him, or do you think that these these three games are just going to put even more scrutiny on his shoulders, and it it could, it could just be it could just backfire? I think there'll always be scrutiny on him, you know. So when you're the goalkeeper of the national team, uh, I understand why that is the case, but I'm I'm kind of hoping that because he's now playing for his country, that there'll be a little bit more support, if you like, you know. So rather than trying to pick holes in his game. Uh, you know, the, the national media, especially, maybe a little bit more supportive. That could be quite a forlorn hope. Uh, I noticed uh, a lot of the papers on Monday, you know, seem to highlight uh, Jordan. Oh, no, Sunday, sorry, uh, highlight uh, Jordan his, his performance. You know, comment pieces about uh, how he's done it again. So maybe I'm being a little bit, you know, sort of pie in the sky, you know, sort of idealism there. But I'm kind of hoping that because it's England, uh, because you know it's a friendly match, which I'm presuming he won't play, and I'm presuming he'll you know, may- maybe give somebody else an opportunity. But then two important European Championship games, uh, you know, maybe they'd be a little bit more supportive. But I, I don't know. I mean, um, the fact that he's away from the Premier League setup, maybe that'll help a little bit. But the scrutiny is always there when you're the England goalkeeper, isn't it? And it's up to him entirely to perform and and, and to play well. And just to not get involved, you know, uh, the damn incident we've talked about, you know, he couldn't help but get involved in that because he was fouled. 
Um, but you know, not get involved unnecessarily. Um, just try and be. Try and be what Robin Olsen was at Southampton, you know. So try and be just a calm, cool demeanor, uh, you know. So no rushes of blood, no charging rounds. Just do what you've got to do when you need to do it, and nothing more. But the spotlight will be on him, uh, and he's going to have to live with it, uh, and he's going to have to perform, and you know, hopefully come back, um, you know in the same psychological state, you know, frame of mind as when he left it. It's a tough time for him at the moment. You know, he's, uh, he seems to be the story every other week, whether it's his fault or it isn't. And it's something he just needs to come through. You know, so all goalkeepers will go through a situation like this at some time in their careers. And it's how they actually come through it that, you know, dictates whether they're going to become a top-class goalkeeper for some time or whether they fall by the wayside. Um, Joe Hart is one of the latters. You know, he's one of the people that did, you know, so far by the wayside and struggle big nev the greatest that ever you know we ever had uh, he came through his crises you know he uh, conceded five at goodison in a in a merseyside derby was sent out on loan uh, to, to port vale and then and came back you know so a, a different goalkeeper so yeah it's a test for him to test for him and uh, it's up to him to try and come through it mm. gab jordan's obviously one of a number of key players who are going away on the international break do you think this is going to be a good time for them to just get away from Everton a little bit, refresh themselves, and then hopefully come back in the right mindset? Uh, I don't like this international break. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's not for me here. The thought of me and Rodriguez and Etal flying halfway around the world and is, is not ideal, is it? Mm. And as Penno said about like medical care and, and, and all of that. So the answer to that, from a logistical sense uh, and fitness sense, probably now. From a from sort of just get away from three defeats on the bounce and reset, perhaps, yeah, but it's hard to have them here, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, it's crackers, isn't it, this international break? Um, let's face it. Uh, so, no, it's hard to have them here. I, I suggest Carlo was hard to have them here as well, mm. <laughs> to be honest with you. To work on it, on the, on you know, you spoke in the theme of this is like shaped. These days, podcasts have been cheap, hasn't been compact, and and sort of got to bring a couple of players in, like Holgate and all that. So you want to work with that, wouldn't you? Really, for the next for the, for a week before the next game, you know, and have players go fly to all four corners of the planet. Um, so no, it's me as well. I'd have them home. What do you reckon, Connor? Obviously, it's, a, it's only been four four games since the last international break, isn't it? One point gains from from those four games in that time. It's uh, it it needs to be a time to reset. But would you would you have rather just had them here for two weeks? No, I'm with Gav. I'd rather have them here for two weeks. I think I'd much rather have seen them on the training ground with Carlo working on a lot of things other than just defensive shape uh, than than travelling halfway around the world to play. Was it three matches? Some of them going to play in ten days, which yeah. is you know, just lose the Christmas. And I think when you think of the way the calendar already is and what the calendar is going to be like when they come back, um, it's just lose the Christmas. The only thing we can hope is that the players who do go away all come back fit and well and, and ready to go again once once the fixtures start. Because you, you think the last one where they was like an injury concern with Mina wasn't he with Colombia? You know, obviously Hamez is going possibly with a knock to Colombia. You, you just hope that the players who do go they 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 come back unscathed. I'm ready to go, but no, I'd, uh, I'm with Gav. I'd rather them be staying here for two weeks and work with Carlo and Strati on the on the Finch Farm training ground and jetting halfway across the world to play. Probably in some cases, 
pointless friendly matches. Mm. Well, fingers crossed we'll be able to rejoin the podcast later in the week and we'll be able to discuss some good performances on international break, at least for a few of Everton's stars. But that's all we've got time for today. Thank you, lads, for joining me and thank you for listening. Uh, Don't forget, you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Join in the conversation on Twitter and Facebook as well. Just look for the Royal Blue podcast on there. This has been the Royal Blue podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.